This is Feather Forum, the podcast by Canadian Poultry Magazine, Canada's leading source for poultry news, research, and trends for more than 100 years. You've tuned in to hear important conversations with industry leaders, producers, researchers, and other experts. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of the 2023 Top 440 podcast series, our program for recognizing young poultry leaders. I'm Brett Ruffle, editor of Canadian Poultry Magazine. In this episode, I talked to Kieran McEwen of Daybreak Farms in Terrace, BC. Kieran was just 29 when she took over the family egg farm. Since then, she's been overseeing egg production, a grading station, a feed mill, and about a dozen staff. She's also led a multi-million dollar redevelopment project. And Kieran balances these roles in a challenging remote environment. The closest big city to where she's situated is about a six hour drive. In addition, she goes the extra mile for both her community and her industry. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our gold sponsor, Egg Farmers of Canada. Now let's talk to Kieran. First of all, congratulations on the recognition. Thank you. That's uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty awesome to be to be recognized, especially on such a, a, a large scale, a national scale. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your background and the history of your family's farm? So I guess I'll go all the way back. Um, my grandfather and grandma moved to Victoria and uh, after the war and got uh, bought a farm. Um, and they decided to get into, into eggs, I guess. So they had, uh, they had production and they also had a grading station, um, and kind of distribute, distributed throughout, throughout Victoria, uh, Vancouver Island. Um, and then, uh, my, my grandfather actually, uh, got polio, uh, when my, um, my uncles and my dad were, were pretty young. So, um, I think my old, the oldest uncle, he was seven, my dad was five, and then there was a younger brother that was three. And they were kind of, you know, you got to take care of the chickens and, and almost run the farm at, um, at, at those ages. So um, they were kind of thrown into it. And then my dad, my Nana had to kind of supervise all them because that was super young, but uh, it just, it had to be done. Um, and then I, I guess, uh, I guess that my dad liked doing it because he, um, after he graduated from high school, um, he bought his, uh, his first farm in Victoria and it came with, um, with, uh, egg quota. Um, I think about 10,000 birds. Uh, he managed, or he ran that, uh, while, you know, working at the dockyards while, while having another job and coming home and having to take care of the chickens and, and whatnot after work. So he worked pretty hard. Um, and then he was able to, uh, purchase a farm up Island a little ways in, in Cobble Hill. And, uh, that's, that's where I grew up. Um, and it was a little bit bigger farm, but, um, we were able then to like get more quota. Um, we, on that farm, we were just producers. So we shipped to, uh, to another grading station. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of, um, so I grew up on, on that farm, um, helping my dad and, and my parents gather eggs and, and do other haying and, and other kind of stuff. What's where I kind of fell in love with, um, with farming and especially, especially egg farming, uh, you know, you go over in the morning, check the barns, come have breakfast, go gather the eggs for a couple hours and you got the whole midday to, 
to do whatever you want to do. And then, uh, and then go over and gather the afternoon picket after supper or something like that. I thought that was a pretty good, good schedule. I have a, I had a neighbor, uh, my best friend, uh, she was a dairy farmer and she was, you know, up at two 30 in the morning and sleeping during the day and then having to, having to milk, uh, at night times. I thought, you know what, this is, this is not so bad. If I want to be a farmer, let's be an egg farmer. Um, and, uh, so when I was just after I was born, um, my dad and and a partner, I think found uh, was looking through the newspaper or something like that, and and found this uh, grading station and production for sale in up in Terrace here, in northern BC, and uh, they had no idea where Terrace was. Um, I don't. I think maybe maybe they'd been to Prince George, but but that was never, never into terrace. So, uh, yeah, they decided to come up and, uh, and take a look at this farm and, um, kind of the rest is history. Um, I, we had, uh, so they, they purchased a farm. We had a manager or a couple managers up here. And, uh, um, when, after I graduated, uh, I kind of just needed to get off the Island. So I went to college in Alberta, uh, and then, you know, from there, thought, no, nah, I'm not really ready to go back to the island, and came came out uh, out west in the north here, and um, started working on the farm, and um, thought, yeah, this is there's a lot of opportunity here. So, um, yeah, eventually worked on the farm, worked my way up every single job, and um, and now now I'm managing it. Can you tell us, sort of describe where Terrace is? Oh yeah, so. Um, Terrace is Northwest BC. So uh, I think we're about 1600 kilometers north of Vancouver and roughly about the same from, from Edmonton. So all the way west from Edmonton um, on Highway 16. Um, the closest like big city would be Prince George and that's about six, six hours away uh, east of us. So we're really, um, we're quite close to the coast. Uh, Kitimat is about 40 minutes away. Prince Rupert is on the West Coast. It's an hour away. Um, so we're, we're quite isolated in a very stunningly spectacular, beautiful uh, area um, in a little kind of tucked away in, in Northwest BC. So are you the only large commercial producer there in that area? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, egg farmer and also um just kind of commercial farmer. Um uh because we have the grading station, we we actually uh sell our product directly to to customers. Um there's there's dairy farms, commercial dairy farms a couple hours away, but they're um they're producers and then, you know, the the truck comes and picks up their milk and then ships it to I think to Edmonton. Um, so yeah, the closest grading station is for St. John, um, which I don't know, it's probably like 10 hours away or something. And, uh, and I think, think that's the closest other than that, it's Abbotsford basically. So, um, yeah, we're, we're very isolated. <laughs> so what challenges does being so isolated present? Well, you have to be prepared for sure. Um, I've had to learn. Uh, I I moved up here. I hadn't fixed anything. Um, you know, my dad fixed everything, so I had to learn a lot. What wrenches were screwdrivers, 
not to use a crescent wrench, use an actual wrench. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, um, it, it's a lot of fun. I found it a lot of fun learning and, and actually fixing something. Um, it was really satisfying, but, um, yeah, to, to farm up North, you have to have a lot of supplies, um, you know, whether that be extra motors or extra parts for sure, because things will break down and you have no one to fix them. So, so, you know, I am the one or we are the ones that, that are fixing them. So we better figure it out. Um, uh, yeah. Extra feed, like a month's worth of feed because we have a feed mill. Um, if anything happens on, you know, there's one highway that goes in and out of the Northwest. So if anything happens along that highway, whether it be mudslides, fires, if something happens down south like floods, um, we have to be prepared. And so we always keep, uh, you know, like a month's worth of, of extra feed um, on hand just in case those things happen because it's, you know, more and more likely that, that they are going to happen. Um, and then just making connections in, uh, in the area um, with, let's say, the plumbers and, you know, the motor guy. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a easier nowadays where you can call somebody up or you can FaceTime them and say, hey, this is what's wrong. What's, what, what can I do about it? Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for, for technology. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we still got to problem solve and we have to be self, self-reliant, self-sufficient. So you grade your own eggs. And then uh, what about in terms of where does your product go to? Yeah, the market. Um, so we kind of ship the whole Northwest, um, uh, Prince George West, basically. So uh, if we start from the coast, um, our eggs go over to Haida Gwaii, um, an island uh, off the coast. Uh, we ship to Rupert. Uh, then we ship into Kitimat. Um, we do terrace. We go all the way up to Dees Lake, which is a, a small town about a couple hours south of the Yukon border. Um, Smithers. And then um, we also ship to, that's where our truck goes. Uh, and then we ship to distributors who, um, who then go to camps and restaurants and do kind of the, the smaller, um, the smaller mom and pop shops or restaurants that, um, that, that we can't go to. And then, um, yeah, our eggs also go out to kind of go east to the small town Topley or even into Prince George. Um, so it's a, it's a very large footprint, but there's not a lot of people. I think there's about 30,000 people in that huge area. Um, so it's, yeah, gotta be efficient. So uh, what is your role? What, like, what is your sort of a typical day look like for you? Mm. So I am the general manager. I kind of. I run the farm, basically keep it running. Um, and a typical day, well, I guess a typical week, let's say. Um, Mondays aren't too bad. I try to keep Mondays open because I gotta, I gotta get ramped up from the weekend. Um, but Tuesdays and Fridays are our grading days. So I always make a point that 
you know, of being here on the grading days. Um, if I'm not in the office, then I'm on the floor um, helping out, candling or packing eggs or just making sure that uh, that it's run, running efficiently, best before dates are, are legible, um, grading stuff. Then um, the other days are more focused on, on the barns and, and the feed mill, making sure we got enough supply uh, in the feed mill, making sure that the flocks are getting the, the right percentages. Um, and then, um, you know, just your, your kind of your daily barn, um, barn tasks. Um, clean up manure, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then in between there, I'm like checking emails and taking meetings and, you know, ordering feed and talking to customers and, you know, doing my job as well as kind of checking up on everybody else. What's the size of your quota right now? Um, our quota, um, we got about, about 40,000 birds. Um, right now we are, uh, we have kind of demolished one barn and, uh, and are building a, um, a new barn basically. Uh, so that barn housed about, um, half of our production. So about 20,000 birds. Um, when that was demolished, we had to relocate them right now. We're, we're about at, uh, 20,000 and, um, when that, that barn is complete, then we'll be back up to full production uh, with extra space so we can place uh, place extra birds um, and we'll be around 40, with extra birds, 46,000 um, birds. I read a lot about that project actually. Uh, can you give us a bit of an overview? Yeah, <laughs> sure. It's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it kind of it it all started um with um when when my dad passed away, I became manager and um I kind of inherited this farm. Um but the farm wasn't zoned. It, it was zoned for uh hobby farming and it wasn't zoned for commercial commercial farming. Um we we were just kind of grandfathered in uh because it was already operational when they zoned it. Um, so this was uh, kind of a, not a fight, but an issue that, that nobody wanted to deal with, you know, the managers or anything, oh, we'll just get to it. So we were really only able to, to do renovations. Um, we weren't able to build new um, with the, the zoning that we were in. So when I took it over, if I wanted to, to do anything move this farm forward in any way um i would have to go and get the property rezoned um so that's what i did <laughs> it was a it was a pretty long and hard process um like we kind of talked about we are the only egg farm we're the only commercial egg farm we're the only grading station and not only commercial egg farm but commercial farm in terrace like the people don't know any other farming other than daybreak and small kind of hobby farming. So this is a was a big deal for for the town. And and they were a bit divided because some people, you know, really appreciated having having us here and having a local farm uh, here because 
things like floods down south happens and and you know there is nothing on the shelves except for daybreak eggs because we are already up here um but then there's also some people that um didn't want to see a a farm so close to the city um we're within city limits and the farm has been here since the 50s and and town has just kind of grown around us so there was yeah some people that that thought that that we should relocate for sure um which we explored and it it just was not feasible to um to move to a different location we would have had to basically build from the ground up um, um there's no like farms i can go and and buy um that are you know already an egg farm or or already a farm because we're the only we're the only only thing up here um so that was uh, a lot of consultation um a, um yeah a lot of just explaining what what we want to do um even to the point because we had the ability to um to go and and you know ship our product um we had such a big footprint uh we were um we were putting sticky notes in all of our daybreak cartons saying hey this is our modernization plan um go to like use this qr code and go to our website and check these uh check out what we want to do um we were you know putting uh we had um coasters that we'd put in like the brewery and the local the local bar again qr codes um directing people informing people hey this is what we want to do for the future and um and uh go go check it out um so i guess it kind of that process really made me um kind of visualize where i wanted to take the farm um, and forced me to put down on paper and and in a in a package um, where where I wanted to take the farm so I could present it to city council and um, and really be very transparent for you know this is where I want to take the farm for the next thirty years this is this is a, what I want to uh, the farm to look like so because council need, needed that reassurance because their decision is is going to be final um so i i tried to be as transparent as possible and and i i got pretty creative i thought with uh with what i really wanted to do uh these plans may change but um but like i said we're we're started on uh on this barn and uh that's step one and um yeah we're just hoping to to kind of move forward from there so you took care of the zoning obstacles you rallied public support um were you also involved in sort of the designing of what you're going to build and that sort of thing too on that side yeah yeah and that that was a, that was a lot of fun um so we we started the first project that we started with was um you know demolishing the barn and and building building a new barn um the industry was changing from uh from cage production to to enriched production um and a lot of the market up here um wants cheaper eggs rather than um ethically raised eggs and 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 uh, we have that as well but um uh, that's kind of cheaper cheaper is uh 
is where it's at for this this market. Um, so we went with a um, basically a mega structure with uh, with six individual barns um, in this one structure. So each barn uh, is an enriched um, stackable uh, enriched uh, um, housing facility, and they each have uh, their own um, ventilation system. So they're all have their own climate controlled um, barns, uh, their own manure removal system, uh, egg collection system, feeding system. So they're really their own barn in each of these barns. And um, I decided to do that because we have our grading station. And um, that's in the market, kind of, we always need to uh, have large, extra large, medium eggs supplied to that grading station so we can supply our market. Um, yeah, so it, it kind of, we decided to go with a, a one big barn because the snow load uh, up here, I mean, we could get 15 feet overnight type of thing. It's not <laughs> not unheard of. So um, in we decided to do a mega structure instead of doing uh, like, let's say three individual barns um, it was just just more efficient. So, um, yeah, there was some challenges with that design. I I don't I haven't heard of anybody maybe being this stupid. I don't know. Um, but doing this kind of style of barn. Um, but I just thought, you know, not everybody has a grading station that that they need to supply. And, and we are the only producer for this grading station. We don't have outside producers. Um, so we're it. So managing the flocks are um is is pretty vital. So it's one huge structure, but then six individual barns within the structure? Yeah. We put our first flock in there in October. So um it's the the system is starting to go up and it's really starting to take shape. And uh yeah, it's pretty impressive. I kind of walk in there like, oh, this is the first thing I've ever built before. So it's it's uh interesting to have the concept, to see the plans, and then to actually see the building go up and the cages go up and uh it's 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 a process for sure. So having it all connected somehow it makes it more efficient, like some things are sort of interconnected. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's more efficient, but like with a huge emphasis on biosecurity. So, um, each, each barn has, uh, has anti-rooms. So you're coming in from the hallway, you're coming in and changing your shoes, changing, suiting up, and then walking into a barn, um, on your way out, you're, you're undressing and then stepping back into your shoes and back into the hallway. And you have to do that each time you step into each barn. So, um, but it, it's efficient because we're, we're collecting everything, um, on, on a common conveyor belt, um, and then disinfecting that, that conveyor belt. So, um, so that everything it's, uh, the rod conveyor is clean when collecting each row. So who did you work with on that? What sort of equipment did you use? Oh, um, I went with a big Dutchman. Um, uh, system. Um, and that's because I, the barn that we demolished, it was, it was built in the seventies. And, um, 
we had a big Dutchman system, or there was a big Dutchman system in that. And at first I hated it because of the barn design, but after a while, you know, it's so simple. And, you know, after 40 years, it was still running. And, and I was just really impressed with that. And what I think what made me go with the big Dutchman was that it's still the same. You know, the feeding system is exactly the same. Like we could, we could get brand new parts and put it in this old barn and it's exactly the same. So I liked that because for me and my staff, we know how to fix it. And being isolated, I can't just call a service guy to come up here and, and fix it. Um, we need to do that. So um, that's, that's kind of why I went with that. But um I mean, there's there's pros and cons to to all different kind of systems, but that's that's what I went with. So even the construction process was that challenging too, and getting the equipment there and that sort of thing because of your location. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so I um I'm working with a an awesome um contractor and uh, company, and uh, they're kind of I deal with the production or the project manager, and he deals with the the sub trades and you know figuring out how to get here but um it was it was almost easier i think because we're about an hour from prince rupert that has a port um a container port so so we got the um the containers the system um shipped right there and then we were able to go and pick up those those containers and and bring them in um but I mean, we were doing this like, you know, a little bit post COVID. So there was delays and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it, it definitely helped um, having Prince Rupert so close. And how many staff do you have working for you? Um, so there, uh, because our, we combine our grading staff and, and our farm staff, um, there's about 10, 10 or 11. Um, we have, um, we have, uh, like, uh, myself and, and an office person in the office. Um, we have a full-time delivery truck driver that goes each day, goes to a different town. Um, then probably about four, uh, farm barn staff. Uh, one miller, and then um, we grade two days a week. So we have the rest are um, our part-time um, grading grading staff. But kind of on grading days, we have one person working on the farm, and then the rest are all grading. On your nominations, people were raving about how well you train your staff and mentor them. So what are some of the keys um, that you follow in terms of training your staff? Um, yeah, I, so I just, I try to train the way I was trained. Um, um, my dad was very, uh, good at this is what you do. And then this is why you do it. Um, I find just some, this is what you do. Well, why do I, why do I do that? And well, can I do it this way? And, um, so, so I try to just kind of follow that and and i'm fully opening open to this is the way i do it and this is why i do it but if you can find out if you can find a way a more efficient way of doing this and getting this result absolutely okay how do you how do you find balance because you're overseeing so many aspects of the farm like a 
you're seeing overseeing production, the feed mail, the grading station. How do you find balance in your job and your life? <laughs> I'm a farmer. <laughs> I don't. Um, uh, staff, like having, you know, kind of training people, but having, uh, having the reliable staff there, um, makes, makes it so much easier. Um, yeah, I have to give them all the credit to, for me to be able to sit here right now and, and not worry about the feed mill or the grading station. Um, yeah. So, so I guess training them properly, them showing up and it helps me have a have a sane balanced life and so what do you like to do with a little bit of downtime that you have um well we live in such a beautiful area it, it's honestly like living in a national park so we have mountains uh rivers the ocean is so close so um winter time um I like to go snowmobiling uh, in the mountains. Um, summertime, uh, a lot of jet boating uh, along the rivers and up into places that like you would never go, you would never see just in a car. Um, and then um, you know going ocean boating and ocean fishing and and just exploring the whole coast. Um, it's just something that that you don't see in a car. And part of your whole modernization project and everything is also you've rebranded the farm to become more greener can you talk about mm. some of the ways you've made your farm more green yeah so that kind of um comes into a lot of our future modernization projects um but we've just started with um we had styrofoam cartons and uh we've just totally converted away from them um, so, so you can compost or, um, or recycle your, your egg curtains now, which we were, we were pretty behind on. Um, and then future, future is just, you know, focusing on being self-sufficient, um, and reducing our carbon footprint. Um, we are so secluded that, uh, we don't have the resources to, um, that, that we can rely on like um, other people do in major cities like Vancouver, Abbotsford. Um, so I, I guess one is um, processing our manure. Um, right now, like manure is, is a waste product. We, we pay somebody to come uh, and pick it up and remove it. And every time a truck goes out the door, I just see money <laughs> flying out the back of the truck. Um, so I'd really like to uh, process that manure on site and uh, into a kind of a value added product, whether it's composting, whether it's drying it and pelletizing it, packaging it, and then shipping that off um, to, to, to the market or whether it's bulk, but um, processing that manure somehow in some form and and shipping that um to the farms i kind of have this idyllic vision of driving down highway 16 and they're just being bumper crops because we've supplied all this nutrient rich um fertilizer to to all these farms um with uh another one is um 
with the composting aspect, um, we can also compost the uh, the cartons now that we've switched to, uh, any cardboard boxes, uh, the waste eggs that come from uh, come from the grading station, and potentially the um, any mortality that we get from from the uh, the production side. So composting all of that into a uh, like a garden type soil, and then selling that. I mean. We have about four garbage trucks that show up every week to take off different various um, various garbages and you know to to reduce that and to put that into a value added product, I think is it's just kind of a no brainer. Um, and then a big one is our um, our surplus eggs. Um, we can't use all of, let's say, our mediums or smalls. Um, so currently we ship those down to down to Abbotsford to Vanderpools, and um, it's a, it's a long ways. Um, and then we have to get our supplies back, and and it's just it's not efficient. And um, so we're looking at uh, starting a liquid egg facility as well. So having that, um, you know, in house. Uh, we have a lot of uh, camps, uh, you know, LNG camps, gold mines, restaurants um, that all, you know, take liquid eggs. They they do support um, support us and and purchase table eggs, uh, fresh eggs. But it's so much easier when you can just pull a handle down and and all these scrambled eggs come out. You know, when they got to service five thousand people for breakfast, they're not cracking five thousand. You know, ten thousand eggs a day. So, um, yeah, just reducing our carbon footprint by uh, by keeping everything kind of self sufficient and in house as much as possible um, is is I think a a really solid way to to move forward. Can you talk a little bit about some of your efforts to uh, support your community and the industry? Sure. Yeah. Um, so. Basically, um, because we have uh, a grading station here, we can um, process our, uh, obviously we can grade our eggs and process them on site. Um, and we're so far removed that, you know, the towns, they don't have anywhere else to get their eggs from. Um, so instead of shipping, uh, you know, all of our surplus down, down south, um, we'll donate to, um, to food banks, um to to shelters uh men's and women's shelters um to any like pancake breakfasts um people doing kind of fundraisers uh you know breakfasts or lunches or something like that uh that are doing fundraisers um yeah any way that that we can kind of support support the community um um, we we try to like th th this is our community. These are the people that support us. So why shouldn't we support them and and give back to them? Um, also, we uh, we do a lot of advertising. So uh, we go to like the local fairs, or or we would go to pre COVID um, the local fairs, um, trade shows, and promote the farm. But also, you know, we'd have raffles where we'd every hour we'd give a dozen eggs away. So people um, put their names in, and then we draw out, and and uh, you know, you'd win a, a dozen eggs really proud of all like the the food shares and um and the food banks 
that that we donate eggs to um the various shelters i mean those are people that that really need it and they really need a nutritious um food source where you know you have one egg and there's your protein for the day type of thing and um so to provide people with that feels good you're doing you're doing something right all right well thanks a lot for your time yeah thank you so much Thanks for tuning in to Feather Forum, the podcast by Canadian Poultry Magazine. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit canadianpoultrymag.com slash podcasts.